Hello everybody, welcome to our first show on Fish on Air. I'm Mati. And I'm Dom. So Dom, I know you're super into Taylor Swift, so what are your thoughts on the Grammys this year? Well, if you don't know, the Grammys happened on Sunday the 4th, and while winning her fourth Grammy for her album of the year and her 13th Grammy overall, Taylor Swift announced her new album, Tortured Poets Department, which comes out April 19th. She's already released all the songs that are going to be in the album and some collabs that she's doing with it, so I'm looking really forward to it. Everyone thought that she was going to announce Reputation Taylor's version, but she didn't, but it's all right. We got a new album. We got a new era. It's okay. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not a Swifty, so I'm not super excited for it. But what I thought was awesome was Lana Del Rey's song A&W from Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard was nominated for Song of the Year. Okay, so you may not care about Taylor Swift too much, but thank God you like Lana Del Rey. I love her so much. So how do you feel about Flowers winning two Grammys this year? Well, I'm happy for Miley Cyrus. And it's her first Grammy, um, but... Flowers itself, I think it's an okay song. Yeah. It gets repetitive <laughs> after a few listens. Yeah, it was good at first, but a little bit overplayed. Um, Leve won her first Grammy for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album for her most recent album, Bewitched, which I'm so happy for. I love her so much, and I'm so happy she's finally getting recognized on the Grammys because she used to be such a smaller artist. Yeah, and if you didn't know, this is Fish on Air, so on this show we're going to talk about so some pop culture and recent events in segment one, and then we're going to go into some problems around the world and potential solutions with an interview near the end. So I'm Matty. And I'm Dom. So moving on from the Grammys, have you been keeping up with Twitter or X as they call it lately? I haven't, and honestly, I'm a bit scared to do so. Why? <laughs> well, our favorite little Sesame Street Muppet, Elmo, made a post asking how people were doing, and the responses were... Let's just say alarming. <laughs> well, please, please educate me. I would love to know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so Elma asked how people were doing, and he was shot down. So all the responses say that they, people were doing terribly. Even big businesses like Duolingo responded saying they were doing bad. And it was so bad, Biden even retweeted the post saying people should look on the bright side of things and on the positive side. Oh, my. Okay. So moving something, moving on to something more positive, maybe a bit more relevant and um. <laughs> wait no 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 before you go on let me start off with a question what's uh, the difference between elon musk no, and Alina? no we're not we're not doing this right now no, we no. can yes yes we but are. this is relevant right of course okay the difference is elon musk made an electric car lemur's madagascar madagascar <laughs> made a gas car wait, but how how is this relevant to the show well it's a perfect transition <laughs> into our first piece of good news which is that solid state batteries have emerged as a promising advancement that could potentially revolutionize the electric vehicle industry, making electric vehicles even cleaner and more sustainable. And these batteries address a lot of the problems with lithium-ion batteries, like limited storage by replacing the liquid electrolyte with a solid electrolyte. And this could be monumental for the mass production and sale of electric vehicles, so it's great news. That sounds really, really cool. I wish I could understand that a little more, but that sounds really cool. Could I switch the subject really quick? Uh, of course. So... I want to talk about the 1,000 manatees that were spotted at Florida's Blue Spring Park on January 21st, because that was pretty cool, if I can say. <laughs> Wait, before you talk about that, let me start uh, off with a question. No. What did the manatee do at the party? Well, 
Did he like make a scavenger hunt? I don't know. <laughs> what? No, that makes no sense. Obviously, he made a splash. Okay, but why didn't he do a scavenger hunt? I mean, because like, why would he do that? Because that's what Google says people do at parties. I mean, this manatee. What if he's a popular, cool, trendy manatee? He's doing what Google's telling him. He wants to be the life of the party at the scavenger hunt. I mean, <laughs> what? Okay. Anyways, one thousand manatees on January twenty-first at Blue Spring Park in Florida. These manatees have taken refuge there as it's consistently been a refuge for manatees over the years from the sudden cold temperatures that we sometimes get here in Florida. Nevertheless, this was the biggest congregation of manatees here ever, surpassing the last one by more than 200 manatees. Places like this are crucial for manatees as they cannot survive in water that's colder than 68 degrees for a long time. And on the subject of marine life, I want to talk a bit about my favorite animal, otters. <gasps> yes! Oh my goodness. So, ag- again, I want to start off with a small joke. Oh so, my... what do you call an otter in glasses? I don't know. A sea otter. Wait, h- how did you Wait, get that? Wait, actually? Yeah. Wait, I actually got that? Yes. You're kidding. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I just guessed that. Oh my god. I, I cannot do these stupid jokes, but maybe maybe things are changing. Maybe it's turning towards better. I knew it. One way or the otter, you will grow to love otter puns. You will also grow to love otters themselves, as our next good news story is how sea otters return to an abandoned coastline to eat crabs. So, a coastline that was thought to have almost no hope of recovery is steadily getting better and better, thanks to these guys. So, marsh crabs have played a huge role in eating the plants that thrive on the coast, but thanks to these otters who are top predators, these crabs are no longer an infestation. And it's just really awesome to see because sea otters can be a sustainable and cheap alternative to restoring these marshes, which normal would have cost millions of dollars. Okay, but, like, you look like a sustainable and cheap alternative to restoring these marches, which would normally have cost millions of dollars, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> okay, well, anyways, that's all for our first segment. Up next, we're going to talk about the impact of food on climate change, and later we'll be interviewing Mr. Grunwald, a journalist and author, who specializes in this topic to give us his thoughts, so stay tuned. And remember, you've been listening to Fish on Air, WSQF, Blink Radio, Key Biscayne on 94.5. We'll see you guys after the music break.
Hello everyone and welcome back to Fish on Air. I'm Dom. And I'm Mati. As many of you may know, many of our day-to-day -day activities, such as driving your car every day, to even just using your refrigerator, can swell the massive issue of climate change. Yeah, and even though we hear the topic of climate change very commonly talked about, it kind of gets boring sometimes, today we want to explore a more unfamiliar part of it, which is how it's affected by food and vice versa. So right now we'll go over some of the major details, but stay tuned because after this segment we'll be interviewing Mr. Grunwald, an expert on this subject, so that he can help shed some light on the food and climate crisis. So we know that the idea of food impacting our climate sounds like a pretty odd idea, but in reality the food industry produces about a third of our greenhouse emissions. And sadly, this will only get worse. Considering the rapidly increasing population size, we'd have to clear huge amounts of forest to even have enough land to grow our food putting treasured outdoor spaces like the Amazon at risk. But why exactly is the food industry emitting so many greenhouse gases, you may be asking? Well, while it might sound like a joke, cow farts play a huge role in it. Their farts and burps all emit greenhouse gases, and considering how many cars there are, it quickly, cows there are, it quickly becomes a huge problem. But even more than that, caring for these cattle requires clearing even more land for them to graze on. Moreover, food products need to be grown and processed and transported, distributed, prepared, consumed, and sometimes disposed of, which all emit crazy amounts of greenhouse gases. This makes it sound like we're in pretty serious trouble. But luckily, there are quite a few ways we can solve this. But it might take a few sacrifices. Okay, Mati, for this next part, what do you call cow with no legs? I'm not sure. Well, you shouldn't call it ground beef because while you may hate to hear, alternate proteins can really reduce the emissions from cattle. And to reduce emissions from food waste, there are plenty of different ways of recycling fruits and vegetables to do the job. One practice that is gaining momentum all around the world is regenerative agriculture. Okay, and what's that? Like, are the farms growing back? Are they regenerating? What's going on? <laughs> uh, close, but regenerative agriculture helps to restore degraded and overused soil through practices like limiting the use of pesticides and growing cover crops like peas and oats, which help in restoring the soil. And that does a lot more than only helping creating more food, right? So much more. A small fun fact for all you listeners is that soil is one of the most important things in fighting climate change. That's, it's one of the largest carbon holders on our planet. So because of regenerative techniques such as cover crops and no-till farming, the soil gets healthier and healthier, which allows it to hold even more carbon. This heavily reduces the impact of agriculture and the food industry as a whole on the climate. That is so fun and most definitely a fact. <laughs> and thankfully, this solution isn't being ignored and is even receiving attention globally from the United Nations-supported Safe Soil Movement to large food conglomerates like General Mills, all backing up regenerative farming. Okay, but despite the large positive impact regenerative agriculture is having on the environment, the truth is that to fully help stop the climate impact of agriculture, we would need to employ many other practices unrelated to soil carbon. Do you know any good solutions, top of your head? <laughs> Uh, well, one solution that I want to focus on is climate-smart farming. Which is very obviously when farming is sent to climate school, all educated, then solves climate change. No. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. This is the practice of running your farm to minimize the impact of it on the environment, such as directly reducing the emissions from farms and ranches, which includes the methane from cow farts, all the way to nitrous oxide from fertilizer. Another way to do climate-smart farming is to increase crop and livestock yield to maximize the amount of food you make with your land, hopefully lowering the loss of land through practices like deforestation. Overall, while it might be upsetting to think about, it's important that we are informed about the food industry's impact on climate change and ways we can help prevent it. 
Stay tuned because up next we're bringing in Mr. Grunwald, a journalist and author who specializes in this topic to give us his thoughts and answer some of our questions. And remember, you've been listening to Fish on Air, WSQF Blink Radio, Kivis Gain 94.5. You can also listen to us on WSQFradio.com. We'll see you after this short music break. There are places I remember everyone and welcome back to Fish on Air. I'm Dom. And I'm Matty. Here we have Mr. Grunwald or Mike. <laughs> Mr. It's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining on, us this afternoon and welcome to Fish on Air. So oh, we just so like for having me. Of yeah. course, of course. So we just want to start off with a few questions. So our first question is, how would you describe the current state of our global climate and its implications for agriculture and food production? And remember that we're a younger audience and not completely on board with all these amazing, smart, scientific terms. <laughs> all right, well, first, I got a question for you. What do you call a mushroom at a party? Mm. Oh, no. Fun, fun guy. Hey, hey I got it. <laughs> Dom's catching on. <laughs> all right, well, look, the, uh, the climate is a problem. Um, you know, we're heading towards 1.5 degrees, degrees Celsius uh, of warming, which is uh, too much. Um, we're still on track to get to two degrees, which is, you know, kind of shorthand for climate hell. And it's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, it's 
one third of that problem is being caused by by the food system. Twenty five percent of it is mm -hmm. agriculture, and then <laughs> climate change itself is going to cause problems for agriculture and the food system because you you know you're going to have heat waves, you're going to have storms, you're going to have you know droughts that are going to make it a lot harder to to grow stuff. You're going to have pest infestations as the pests move to areas where now it used to be too cold for them. So uh, yeah, it's really a problem as as Dom said on both ends. And going more into that, what specific factors or aspects of the food production and consumption contribute most significantly to climate change in your research? Well, look, uh, you know, if you had to pick two biggies, one mm -hmm. of them is that we waste so much food because that's just yeah. crazy, right? We waste a third of our food. That means that we waste a third of the land we use to grow the food, a third of the pesticides and fertilizers, a third of the water. Um, so that's just, you know, the fact that we're using a landmass the size of China to grow garbage is not good. Um, and then the other, which, uh, you know, you hate to say it, but it's meat. Um, and particularly beef and ruminant meat. Mm -hmm. um, and you nailed it. It's, it's partly because of the burps and farts, but it's mostly because they're just very inefficient animals at turning their feed into our food. So they use an incredible amount of land. About a quarter of the Earth's land right now is used to, to feed livestock. And, uh, yeah. and that's land that could otherwise be forests or grasslands that could store a lot more carbon and uh, bring it down out of the atmosphere. Yeah, that's terrible. And going back to what you said before about how climate could make agriculture worse for certain places. So are there any regions or countries whose agriculture is more susceptible to the effects of climate change? And what factors contribute to their specific vulnerability? Well, really, the the problem area is sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, that's mm -hmm. got the lowest yields. It's, you know, it's hot there. It's, you know, you're seeing you know, deserts are expanding, um, and they already have, you know, a real problem growing food that climate change is only making worse. Um, they don't have the seeds, they don't have the irrigation, uh, they don't have the fertilizer that we have in the richer parts of the world. Um, so yeah, Africa's, you know, that's, uh, it's unfortunately, and there, and there a lot of the farmers are also some of the poorest people on earth. So it's really important that they be able to grow more food. And uh, going into a more wider zone with this, uh, are there specific policy measures or international collaborations that you believe are essential to addressing the convergence of climate change and food production? Well, sure. I mean, I think... Um you know, you're seeing some of these solutions like uh, the fake meats, right? Alternative mm -hmm. proteins, um, where whether it's made from plants or it's made from cells or even fungi, right? Or our <laughs> friend at the party. Um, you know, that's a, that's a real solution that right now is getting very little help from the government. We're seeing hundreds of billions, even trillions of dollars going into alternative energy, um, which has been really helpful in replacing, you know, you see solar and wind replacing coal and gas, um, but you don't see that on the on the meat side where there's just as much of a problem. Um, so you could imagine seeing some more public, public support and government support there. Um, it's same with food waste. You can imagine a whole bunch of, you know, whether it's actual support for technologies that help reduce food waste. There's a there's a company that makes these um, basically fake peels um, that you don't even see, but it's basically mm -hmm. biotech um, that prevents them from go prevents fruit and vegetables from going bad. You can imagine support for that, but then you could also imagine tax breaks for restaurants that give their leftovers to food banks. Um, you can imagine the sell by dates. Mm -hmm. 
um, are a real problem because people throw out their food much too early. You can imagine you can imagine reform there. So there really is a lot that government can do to help. And going back to what you said before, why do you feel that? Uh, why do you think that the government isn't putting as much money into the whole meat issue? Well, I think people have always, you know, look, climate is a pretty new issue Mm -hmm. just to start with, right? You know, when I started my career, nobody was even thinking about it. Even as an environmental reporter, you know, I was writing stories about the environment and knew almost nothing about climate. Then I started writing a lot about climate and I knew a lot about energy, but didn't know anything about the food part of the problem. So I think we're sort of 25 years behind on food and people are just starting to figure out that it's a real part of the climate problem. Um, yeah, and before our next question, I just want to introduce you once again to the audience. So, Mr. Michael Grunwald, or Mike, um, <laughs> he's an author and journalist. Um, he focuses on the environment, and he's worked. On, he's published a lot of books, um, if I'm correct. Wow, well, you're you're very kind, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, once again, like staying on the topic of potential solutions. Um, do you think there are any specific sustainable agricultural practices or technologies that have been successful in mitigating the impact of climate change on food production? Well, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit in that I think uh, some of this regenerative agriculture stuff is um, it's fine, it's nice for the soil, but it is not really a climate solution. Um, you know, you don't really see a lot of evidence that it's storing a lot of carbon in soils. Um, but what you guys mentioned is really important is to increase the yields, to grow more food on less land so that we don't have to tear down the Amazon. And that can be the kind of precision agriculture where it's these, you know, know, smart tractors that drive themselves and know exactly where to drop the fertilizer and where to plant. Um, It could be better aquaculture, um, which we actually have some in Miami where they're trying to grow a lot more fish with a, you know, growing it on land so you're not destroying the oceans. Um, But basically all kinds of technologies, whether you're using AI or robotics or anything that can make agriculture smarter so it can make more food with fewer resources. And how can regular people like us who aren't involved in bigger corporations or anything and are a lot younger make sustainable and climate-friendly food choices in our daily decisions and daily lives and habits? Well, it's, uh, it's, you know, it sounds a little boring, but, right, like waste less food and eat less beef. Um, you know, it's hard because beef is delicious. Um, I did a reporting trip. I've stopped eating beef, but I did a reporting trip in Brazil. I was visiting all these cattle ranches to try to see how better ranching, and I totally fell off the wagon and, you know, you know had, some, had some great steak down there. But, look— beef is like six or seven times worse for the climate than chicken. And chicken and pork are, you know, worse than eating lentils. Realistically, we're not all going to start eating kale, eating kale and lentils all the time. Um, but less beef, less meat, that's helpful. You know, waste less food. I think, you know, if you try to tell people to be perfect, you know, everybody's got to go vegan tomorrow. Um, it's just not very likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we only have a little bit of time left. So to end off, is there anything you'd like to add that you think is important for our generation and young people like us to hear? 
No, I think it's great that you guys are doing this show and talking about important issues. I think climate is a really big one. Um, you see a lot of people freaking out and screaming and throwing soup on art and uh, <laughs> doing kind of things that I think that are not very helpful. Um, but you also see a lot of people who just want to wish it away. And this is going to be a real problem for your generation. Um, it doesn't mean that like all of humanity is going to go extinct, but it's going to cause real problems, particularly for people in the poorer parts of the world. And I think it's it's great that you're seeing the younger generation care a lot more about it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was amazing having you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on here today. Yeah, it, just, it was such a pleasure having you. And re- remember, you've been listening to Fish on Air, WSQF, Link Radio, Kivis Gay 94.5. And we'll see you again in two months next Tuesday. Um, be there or be square. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.